Hello and welcome back to Now. In this podcast we celebrate all things related to the variously compiled world of pop as we open up the gatefold vinyl sleeves, unfold cassette inlays or slip out CD booklets. We will also consider the wider world of pop culture and how our favourite compilation albums shaped our lives and now fondly stand as time capsules for our own musical journeys. I hope that you'll enjoy sharing in some memories and insights and let me know your thoughts on the Pop Rambler Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages with myself, Ian. For this episode, I'm joined by author, artist and illustrator Shan Pattenden. Shan joined Smash Hits magazine at 18 and has been a major feature writer for publications including The Face, The Guardian, Word, Select and NME and also appears regularly across TV and radio talking about pop music including the Today programme, Channel 4 and BBC4. Most recently, Sean has contributed a written piece to Bob Stanley and Tessa Norton's epic and extremely readable Excavate, the wonderful and frightening world of the fall. And as if all that wasn't enough, Sean also continues to celebrate the wonderful world of pop culture, co-hosting the Big Mouth podcast alongside the equally wonderful Andrew Harrison, (laughs) where a host of guests explore all that is happening right now in music and arts. Sean, welcome back to now. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be asked. So um, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Steeped in pop music, I feel, because I've been listening to a lot of it from 1989, as we'll discover. (laughs) So at the risk of overshadowing the next hour or so of podcasting pop blethering, congratulations on recently passing 250 episodes of the Big Mouth podcast. Thank you very much. I think this is a dogged work ethic that we didn't know we had, Andrew and I. Um, And we've also done our fifth year, which um, seems unbelievable. They go by very, very quickly. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think the secret is? What what keeps it going, do you think? The fact that, I mean, I think it's reinvigorated in, in myself, a real love of new music, and also new film and TV. Um, I think I was more jaded than I began, if you see what I mean. Um, There's so much out there, so much exciting stuff that sometimes, I mean, there's almost too much to fill in it. And we just do tiny bits on extra bits because there's just, it's just reasserted my love of pop music and all things related to it. And it's it's just so wonderful. And you do end up listening and watching things that you would never see or hear before. Um, so it's great for that. So I'm like a teenager again about some bands and things, embarrassingly so. But maybe that's it, is that there's a lot of stuff and we genuinely love a lot of stuff. Maybe we could talk a wee bit about your growing up and musical memories what was it that influenced your first listening and buying choices well I have listened to a few of um, your back to nows and I note with interest that a lot of your guests have parents that have about six records in the collection so I'm finding this really interesting but maybe a period of the 70s was when you didn't need to acquire lots of records maybe it wasn't something that you needed to do so there would have been a carpenter's record there would have been a, is it John Williams? There would have been a little bit of that. My mother claimed to like ABBA for about three or four months. And then when I asked her about it as a child, you know, she said, no, no, I never said that. So there was, it was something that was in the air, but they weren't pop fans. They wouldn't have gone to pop concerts. In later years, our dad used to take us to GLC concerts, yeah. which always had the Frank Chickens um, on them. And Ken Livingston would come on at some point and take the stage and receive his applause. We went to those, but I think that's because they were free and I remember watching Top of the Pops but I think I watched it maybe my dad would have watched it but it wasn't a big 
big family thing. Um, so it seemed to me my sole occupation. I was the one in the house that liked it. And I remember punk very vividly, not because obviously I was a punk rocker in any sense, but I was a small kid and it used to frighten me. I genuinely thought that the Sex Pistols was a name you couldn't really say in public. <laughs> I couldn't understand how that they had records out so how could how could that actually be on a record in a shop it's so rude um and it's so transgressive that um I, I find it deeply frightening and yet I know that that kind of fear also was a springboard for so what am I frightened about what is this music all about and then bands coming out of that see so the post-punk and we have two-tone and we have madness and adamant as well and I know they're not all in exactly the same thing suddenly pop music really started to make sense we had a really good teacher in our school called Mr Smith hello Mr Smith um, and he made us watch Top of the Pops yeah he just made us do it he would always remind us it was on on a Thursday yeah. and on Friday we would have to come in and talk about it with him and I think part of that was he was teaching us he was you know in loco parentis he was our guy who was going to give us an education about what was around so we all got obsessed with the same bands all together the school disco everyone would dress as adamant girls and boys that's how it felt like we all be talking about two-tone records and madness and because they were and I think Pete Feeder said this because they were things like being at school we just lapped it up and I think from there it made a massive amount of sense and it was pop music pop music pop music until I discovered the Jesus and Mary chain and it all went horribly wrong, cocktail chains. That kind of maps out a very similar route for so many of us. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. And it's and it's that absorption of pop music and pop culture and everything about it. And, you know, we were limited in where that came from. When I think back to my parents, the majority of music we had in the house was on the radio. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time my dad actively started buying albums was probably 82 or 83 when he bought a hi-fi. The hi-fi was the conduit to more music and he loved Visage. So we used to go and listen to Visage together on the hi-fi that had, you know, the spaghetti hanging out the back. Yeah. Lenny Henry soda cried in that advert. <laughs> I love the spaghetti. I helped him put it together. I was slightly fascinated about how the hi-fi worked. I did used to take tape recorders apart when they didn't work, thinking, yeah, <laughs> I was going to fix them. That never helped. Um, but my dad is also the one that gave me um, the executive record player in a briefcase. The sound was incredibly tinny. Um, but around 80 and 81, you could have a radio, maybe a tape, but also a record player within what looked like your briefcase you would be taking from Surbiton to Waterloo every morning. Um, and so that was also a discovery of I could then play music. So he had his smashing hi-fi, but in my room, I could then physically play records which was extremely exciting and I had all this choice and probably made some very bad choices. What about mm. compilation albums? Did these feature in your buying or were they part of the household? As far as I know, they weren't. So I'm going to disappoint you saying I don't <laughs> know and I can't remember what compilation albums I bought. I remember everyone having the Fame album. Yeah. That was probably the first thing I played as an album on the um, the small executive briefcase. But I don't remember having any compilations. And Twickenham Woolworths, which if you've read that full book, was very, very much part of my formative years. It was Twickenham Woolworths, but there was always, there was Harry's too. And if Twickenham Woolworths didn't have the record, you would go and you would order it from the man who just liked Pink Floyd. Um, and he, he looked down on me. Um, <laughs> quite literally, he looked down on me. But also, you know, he didn't, in the end, order Shy Boy by Mbarana Rama. I just think he couldn't bring himself to do it. 
because <laughs> that was not what he was about. But I would alternate between them. And then in the end, Harry's 2 became the place that I could get the Cocteau Twins record before I discovered the Virgin Megastore, which I used to go to after school. I make a trip on Mondays when, no, it was, yes, on Monday. So the record would have been out probably just, just that day. Yeah. Record release Monday, so midweeks and then gets in the chart. I used to go and get the felt records and the Cocteau Twins from Virgin Megastore and get the plastic bag and be really excited about the whole thing after school about five o'clock on a Monday. I can remember that same type of, I don't know, is it pop snobbery of the record store? It's it's that kind of high fidelity type thing. By the point we're going to look at today, this kind of period of 99, I think I'd kind of of moved on now. I was looking for the Happy Mondays. I was digging out kind of indier sides of things. And I think that pleased my record store owner. A bit more. <laughs> yes. But um, I wasn't I wasn't digging for Janet Jackson 12 inches anymore. Not that there's anything wrong with Janet Jackson. There's nothing 12 wrong with that. But at yes. All. I mean, we're not even talking about probe records, are we? We're not being told off by Pete Burns. But in every record store, there would be a version of yeah. watered down Pete Burns just looking at you saying, Don't buy that dross. Yeah. And here we are celebrating what they would have um, been snobs about and stuff exactly. that has been re-examined. <laughs> 16 featuring Rebel MC and Double Trouble, Technotronic, De La Soul, and Sydney Youngblood. 32 top chart hits. Now that's what I call music. 16. So let's move then. So we're in autumn 89. Yeah. Um, this album, now 16, was released on the 20th of November of that year. Where were you in life? What was happening? I chose this time because I joined a magazine called Smash Hits out of college and they used to play this stuff either Radio 1 or they would play now. They would actually, before they got their own Smash Hits compilation albums, which they thought of after the time, they would play an our compilation. Sometimes you would hear that. And so it reminds me very much of this time, but it also reminds me of coming from a from a household and being at college and making chocolate spread sandwiches to an office in Carnaby Street with people who had actually met pop stars who I'd read the names of. So I was sort of fairly aghast for a few weeks and just had a feeling that I wasn't meant to be there and they were going to chuck me out. And I just thought, I'll just keep doing it hour by hour. And if they haven't chucked me out by the end of the day, I went in for two or three days a week at first. I might be all right. And they didn't chuck me out. And I learned their fancy London ways. (laughs) The chocolate spread sandwiches went and I started eating things like salads. <laughs> That's what people in London are. Oh, okay. 1989, that, that yeah. kind of period, there was something happening. I mean, was that coming through in Smash Hits as well? I think very much so. And if you look at, I mean, through the 80s, obviously, Smash Hits have put in indie favourites and you're going to get Morrissey on the cover and you're going to get Jesus and Mary Chain in that rapeseed field and all those things um which I absolutely adored so I got um my mum got me just 17 because I think she thought I should learn about people <laughs> um and my sister got smash hits she got us as a present um the subscription so all I did was read my sister's smash hits between the covers of the NOE sometimes but I I loved it and that's why I had I had wrote to them just said could you give me a job if you've got anyone you know anything you need doing and so what we would have in the news pages we would have the bubbling unders as it were underground becoming overground so you would get dance acts and especially around this time I mean already S Express have had hits mm. already we've seen Acid House and Shoom Club have their influence on the charts and what's happening and you can see that within smash hits but you can also see that within the compilations that's trickling it's the trickle down effect of pop music yeah. um 
but it's not quite we're not at 1990 no. we are and stone roses release falls gold november 89 which is quite a pivotal point i think no one would disagree with that so we're seeing it there are traces of it but it's not quite here yet going back to this album looking at the tracks across it initially when i went back to it i thought it's not as poppy as i remember it but actually it's more poppy than i remember it in some mm. ways mm. and actually making that connection with smash hits you can see things starting to change and you yes. know that that kind of recognition of the dance culture coming through it's all done in a very now way yeah <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah, starting yeah. to come through you can imagine at the meeting everybody's got a suit on it's that yes. kind of album this is executive decisions are being made you know no one's been to the pub at lunchtime or something this is very much you know yeah. it's you're saying yeah. it's proper um and even if you hadn't bought this album it's it's an amazing snapshot of that time mm. and it's still got that structure and it is a suited structure actually of mm. you know mm. let's put these tracks here let's put them there <laughs> let's hide those tracks there with hindsight it is actually a pretty decent snapshot of what was going on yeah absolutely yeah. and it, it reflects the confusion of the time yes uh, just so elementally I mean I don't think there is a year in in UK pop music which isn't entirely confused we have our rose-tinted glasses on and sometimes and we think 1990 is all is all baggy it's not no. there's always the balladeers there's always the people with yeah. you know with a long hair and a, an acoustic guitar or something you know <laughs> Now, this was on the Smash It stereo all the time. Really? Which is why I think we had this compilation. Yeah, I loved it. Oh, there wow. were a few people who commandeered the, st- the stereo, uh, particularly Tom Doyle. Shout out to Tom Doyle, uh, who would put on the Blue Nile, would put on this. Would put, and because this was a crowd pleaser, so it pleased the people who did like proper music, like Blue Nile, like Tom yeah. Doyle, but it pleased the people in the design department who just wanted to listen to the hits. I think it is an incredible opener, having not heard it for a few years and then blasting it out yesterday really loudly you know it, there is an element of pastiche to it but it so sums up 1989 yeah and it's so well produced as well that um there's something about that that suddenly that time capsule opens and you're uh, you're taken yeah it's an incredibly big opener and actually I, I was kind of digging through the album there's no number ones on this album at all which for now is a bit of a standout mm, but mm. What there is, is there's some really, really big pop moments that probably actually have lasted longer than a lot of the, the, you know, the 1989 number ones did. It was a big, big track. Also, this is, as we're saying, is before Baggy. This is before a lot of that. And Della Soul is sort of, in the mainstream, they're still not quite where they're going to be. Um, And I think it's very clever that um, songs like this, if you heard it now, I think you wouldn't be surprised. If it had been made into... 2021 I don't think you'd be that surprised it's that wonderful thing that it does and I have written in the notes it's that hectoring thing why aren't you living a better life we know but we know best (laughs) we know really good stuff you've got to go and read some books everybody peace and love you know there's something just so fantastically and what music is very good at doing sometimes is telling you off um and here it is with this beautiful lush orchestration is saying it's very george martin um but then it's quite eclectic and other pits trying to get away from that but just this fantastic you know look inside yourself hippy dippy stuff that we get with delight later on i mean it's just it really is capturing a mood while trying to be the most original sentiment 
but actually it is very prescient for the mood of what 89 was and it actually captured it and you can almost imagine Kurt and Rowland's you know at the point of release thinking actually this is really very now <laughs> this yes. whole message well are we going to mention the t-word that wonderful line about the politician granny yes you know, is in there and and again you know we love a bit of subversive politics into our shiny pop music and there mm. it is and it's template for that template UK pop yes out of the majority feels they get in all that stuff yeah a flower power ballad um is this the point where they really hated each other? Yeah. Yeah. Which is what's so still ironic about it. It's peace and love, everybody. We've got to get together. We've got to throw out the fascists and we've all got to hold hands. You you can't bear to be in the same room as each other, Kurt and Roland. So, I mean, that's obviously they've patched it up now. It's fine. But, and, and, yeah. and everything's fine. And, and we can all look back on, on, on the wonderfulness that is Deals with Fears. But yeah, I think by this point, it was all starting to kind of fall apart a bit. Yeah. yeah. What what a great opener for, for side one. It's, yes. It kind of yes. stands up there. Isn't it? Um, um, so we're on to track two. Belinda Carlisle, a stalwart of the news, yep. um, always gives you what <laughs> what you would expect as well. Yes. Um, George Harrison on slide guitar. Did you know that? I didn't know that. No. Oh wow. Didn't. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. I think this is interesting. I I I call this auto rock. Is it sort of? It's automatically written itself. It's incredibly American, but it's also something you would listen to a car. It comes full circle yeah. in that way. It just becomes something that is part of the furniture. What Belinda Carl became very good at doing. But I also think I have a theory also that eighty nine is quite interesting because if we go to track four. Yeah, Deborah, Deborah Harry, not Deborah Debbie. Harry. Deborah, yeah. mm-hmm. with "I Want That Man." It's in a similar vein. This yeah. is this is made for a global audience. It's yeah. got to be slightly bland enough for that to happen, but also have some sort of sense of this person. But this music was music made by people in bands who didn't think they were going to get past twenty three. I mean, it's all surprised that Q came along. It's like, yeah, but surely they're going to be dead soon. How can you do all these old bands? Because you're not meant to be a rock star, yeah. or as Tony Parsons used to say, a journalist. And why did he carry on? But you, you know, after 23 or 24, you're meant to resign because it's a young person's game. And so this is quite interesting because it's a real sea change in that and that we can now fill out stadiums and you get these singers from punk rock bands. These yeah. are meant to be subversive, transgressive people and they're putting this stuff out. So that's a really interesting time. You were allowed to embrace a sort of commercialism that you wouldn't have been able to do in 82 or 83. But I think definitely here, that's what we see. When you go back to the the kind of period of the 80s pop, you know, if there was a gap of any longer than six months, that was seen as a gargantuan gap of time. Actually, for... Well, we might come back to that with another well, act. Yeah, exactly. Two-year wait. <laughs> I, mean, that, I mean, that was huge for someone like Deborah Harry. I just want to call her Debbie. But anyway, Deborah Harry <laughs> um, coming back, you know, and it was two years since French Kissing, you know. Yeah. But even, even, you know, kind of going back to the kind of Blondie days, that would have been seen like a, a huge amount of time, 10 years from Heart of Glass to this song. Mm. Which mm. is nothing, really. Now, you know me. who wrote I Want That Man? It was the Thompson Twins. It was the Thompson Twins, it yes. Was. And yeah. it references Harry Dean Stanton. Alana yeah. Curry, Deborah Harry, meet Harry Dean Stanton backstage, gurgle a lot and fangirl at yeah. him. Debbie Harry ends up going out with him. It's amazing. I, I know. know, isn't it wonderful? I rather yeah. love that. That's just one of those kind of wonderful tied up kind of smash hits pop stories, actually. Yeah. It's fabulous. <laughs> it's, it's like the world imploding in on itself. It was just fabulous. So someone gave her the script, Deborah, you're doing this now. Oh, I go out with him after singing. Oh, fine. Yeah, I, that's what I love about pop music. Yeah, it's you do just, your pop star thing. It's just brilliant. Mm. So.
this to me is pinnacle erasure drama. So tell it's even me got an why. exclamation mark on it. It's just fabulous. <laughs> tell me why, because I still can't. There's something I can't connect with erasure, and I've Andy Bell being a really, really lovely, lovely man. Yeah. I mean, he, you just can't not have a lovelier man than Andy Bell. And his stage outfits I always love, but there's something about the music right. that okay. I could never get with. Mm. For me, the Wild album that this came from in 1989, I think they'd kind of worked up to this through a couple of years. They did the Circus album, the Innocence album, big hits. This, to me, was a really complete album. It was just very... It just did everything that Erasure should do. And mm. I think sometimes they get sidelined a bit when we look back on that time. Yeah, it's interesting why. I'd like to know why. Listeners have got a theory about why, yeah, because they're essentially an art band, aren't they? They make pop records, but yeah. nothing else they do is is selling out to the band, is it? You know, they really do seem to forge their path yeah. and they're old enough and wise enough not to get told off by a record company or A&R to dictate too much, you would imagine. And they never seem like that. And yet, yeah, they sort of are sideline, you're right. Do you know the big fact about the Jesus and Mary chain in this song? No. What's that? Oh, this this is this is a great one. This one. Yeah. Right. In the song, you go back and listen to it, that there's a line where a crowd shout guilty. It is the Jesus and Mary tune. No. That's amazing, Pop Fact. Fabulous. Right. So I'm I'm kind of putting this together. I'm guessing they were working on the automatic album, probably about the yeah. same time. Yeah. Probably in the studio next door, probably bumped into each other. Andy yeah, Bell, yeah, Vince Clark, like come it. in. We need a crowd, right? I had my headphones on earlier on in the week, had a, had a listen back, and all of a sudden now it sounds like a very <laughs> Scottish guilty shout. <laughs> so if it is Jesus and Mary Jane, fantastic. So, oh, props to you. I'm going to go back and re-listen. <laughs> go back and listen to that one, to be honest. But Erasure, again, served the Now albums incredibly well. Mm-hmm. And they, all, they always seem to sit around about this point on the album as well, kind of second. I bet they love that they're sandwiched between Belinda and Deborah. Oh, yeah. That's perfect, isn't it? It's that really, really nice <laughs> squashed in moment for Andy Bell. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Next up, Sydney Youngbloods, If Only mm-hmm. I Could. That's quite stonking, I thought, listening back to that. I think this has stood up a lot better than a lot of things on this mm. album. I, I agree. Some of the stuff towards the tail end, when everyone starts to lose the will to live. Um, yeah. yeah, this is this this has been of a banger. And I was, yes, dancing around the kitchen to this one yesterday, because I do think, yes, it's still got it. He has a fantastic voice. It's brilliant. He has such a fantastic voice. I spoke to him. He was one of my first interviews, I think, on... Um, in Smash Hits and I spoke to him on the phone and he was a very nice man and been in Germany and been in the army and actually had a really difficult time it, yeah. it's very complicated to get to where he wanted to be but yeah a very very nice person and he did want to make the world a better place and there we have our theme with Tears for Fears we've got the philosophy of pop coming through very very 89 Yeah, 89 is about you know pull up your bootstraps we're going to do this <laughs> we're going to get Thatcher out and everybody's going to look at flowers and coo and, <laughs> and dance you know and that is the dance element as well because dance is about euphoria and ecstasy, but also it has that um, utopian vision very, very much, um, which is very important at this time, I think. Fantastic voice. It's a fantastic melody, lyric. It it Mm. uses that break for love, raise, kind of back and track really nicely yeah um and it works it works really well but he, he had quite a short chart career unfortunately i don't know, I don't know why he's still going because i checked his website and he's still singing and and he's working on some new stuff oh <laughs> isn't I, he i do love that line i do love that <laughs> expecting a new album soon uh, yeah. <laughs> but oh no that no that is actually quite nice because oh, i thought it's quite heartening yeah. the only bit of stuff i could find is that three years ago he was he was on the german show 
I'm a star, get me out of here, which I'm guessing is obviously celebrity. Right, so, he, yeah. so he was, so I thought, oh, good, he's still, he's still with us. Oh, good. <laughs> but, yes, I, I love our warm feeling towards him. I think that's really good. Yeah, which, yeah. Which is good. So, yeah, and and, and again, there's, there's kind of moments across this album where you get to see that positivity, optimism, you know, mm. of, of what's coming next. And Yes, um, and very much you, you get to see when subculture and mainstream fuse together properly and it works. Because yeah. I think there are examples towards in this album where subculture and the mainstream don't work. There's something really jarring about it. It's been put upon record companies. Because at this point in 89, we have a few subsidiaries, don't we? So the majors are doing dance labels mm. under a fancy name, try and fool the kids, doesn't usually fool the DJs, but to to give um, more authenticity to the dance acts. Because it yeah. still was. Again, we're, we're in a world where being on a major wasn't always the coolest thing to do. And I really don't think that that exists at all now. It's such a different landscape anyway but in 89 you really had to judge wisely who you were going to sign to in case the fans cared yeah in indie and in dance which is still i mean slightly hilarious now <laughs> no one really would care would they it's interesting looking at the kind of concept of indie because just mm. scanning across these you know the album there isn't an indie presence particularly no. but i i do also think having looked at the charts of 89 is that indie is having a bit of a break yeah. indie's down the club Indies, you know, having a look at what they're doing at the Hacienda and various other places. And Indies relaxing a little bit and enjoying itself. And it comes back because the next now is full of what yes. we used to call uh, Indie Dance Crossover, which we sort of now call Baggy and we know where <laughs> that's from. Exactly. It's full of Manchester as such. So this really, there's nothing to say. And even because the Stone Roses aren't on here and I thought maybe with Falls Gold, they might have put it on. It yeah. might have just been able to pip the deadline, but there's nothing to suggest what's coming. The end of this, this side then kind of slides back, I suppose, into what you, well, I suppose it's a bit more kind of poppy, rocky, I don't know what you call it. So we've got the beautiful South first. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I often found that quite astounding that this is absolutely middle of the road Radio 2 music. And, and yet they sort of still retained a credibility, didn't they? But I mean, the best fact is, or you probably got a great fact about, I don't know, Cocteau Twins being on it <laughs> somehow. But um, it's backed with I Love You But You're Boring, which was my favourite track of that album. Because yeah. it's it's wonderful. I mean, you know, it's just Pet Shop Boys um, yeah. as the beautiful. It is sound. actually, isn't it? Yeah, mm, it is. it's a great song. Yeah, oh, yeah. Despite what the records sound like, it may have been because Norman Cook went so far in the other direction in the kind of sea of life and the music of the spheres. They balanced each other out. Yeah. So Norman Cook going, you know, no one predicted that. No, no one predicted that in the House Martins. No. Um, so when Dub be good to me comes out and all that sort of thing the beautiful south just sits so far in contrast it works and maybe without one or the other it might not work for them yeah That's exactly so then we've got wait 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 now yep. this was a comeback single for them and again when you were talking about that earlier on a comeback single of maybe only like a year yeah. <laughs> not even it's that, a long time you know yeah. but yeah in, yeah in pop world smash hits world that, that was a huge time mm. and they were coming back and they were very grown up all of a sudden. Well, I mean, you say that, but you, you read <laughs> interviews with Wet 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 no, when they started. You know what they're like. They hated being pop stars. I know, I know. The I record mean, this company is... idea, they hated it. Popped in, sold out. 
I mean, yeah. that's the that's the pun that was... of the first album, um, because that was they're being furious about being peddled as teen stars. So yeah, this is very much what they want to do. This is very much. I mean, don't call yourself wet, wet, wet though. If you don't, I mean, yeah. I that's another conversation. We <laughs> I mean, really, it's never going to work. To be honest, <laughs> I, d- I don't have a lot more to say about that. I do remember Q magazine really gushing over this album, but. Really? Yeah, which I thought was quite surprising. Yeah. It, it got four stars. There we go, four and that was, star? that, okay. that was it. wasn't It wasn't a five star instant classic. Mm. <laughs> As we know, they, were, they were hard to come across in queue, oh, yeah. but okay. it, it got a four stars. And I think it was. I think it fitted that CD market, that kind of slightly mm. more grown up pop fan type thing. But, it but kind of can pack- you imagine? I bet they. I mentioned Blue Nile earlier. I bet they were so envious of the Blue Nile, and they loused it up by being pop stars. But they. But how were they ever going to have a hit? It's so difficult. And you see that pop bands is they get marketed as something that they're completely not. After Popped In sold out, it was going to be really, really difficult to jump straight to hats. As great as I would have liked that to have been. (laughs) A suitable conclusion to side one. Side two, Queen, and a Mm -hmm. horrific spelling of breakthrough. Yes, it sounds like um, something you'd eat when you're in between meals, doesn't it? What are you going to have a breakthrough? Yeah, I'm hungry. (laughs) And it just, yeah, so... um, They've got to tick the Queen box, haven't they? They've got to get Queen on. So, I mean, this, I find it very, very hard to listen to Queen at the best of times. But then this is, it's an interesting side, this. It's an interesting side, because I think the next one works with Queen, but then it just goes into something else again. It's almost a bit like they've kind of scattered the tracks on bits of paper across the table and then somebody's mucked them up. (laughs) What is it's like a bleak strategies. It's Brian yes. Eno, isn't it? They've come in and mix it around with a, a version of cut up technique as well. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe they did. It's a very funny side of mm. hits, yeah. non hits, one yeah. significant big non hit in there. Tina Turner and Queen obviously sit quite well together. It's the kind of mum dad rock type thing. Did you know that this was a Bonnie Tyler song first? I didn't know it first. I know it now. Yeah, because I, I went mean, and looked up who produced it and who wrote it, and then found out. Um, I mean, chat, I, I didn't know, and it's it's almost uh, incredible uh, to not think of this as because this is the Tina Turner song. Yeah, that and Private Dancer, and <laughs> you've yeah, got them, haven't you? Yeah, it's, it's it amazing. Is, isn't it, it is just there. This was a bit of a comeback for her, and actually probably kickstarted the rest of her career onwards because yeah. she had a she had a bumpy couple of years. But, but she this, needed this, didn't she? Oh, I mean, it's yeah, you yeah. really. Yeah. So no, but, I mean it, it, it's sort of like what can you say about a nursery rhyme? I think that the the biggest songs become just something that's in the air. It's bigger than Tina Turner. It's bigger than the song. It just becomes this massive weight around all of our shoulders. I, I mean, it's a song that if I never listen to it again, I'm very. I have heard this song at least forty six times more than I ever <laughs> needed to hear it again in my life, and yeah. and 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 that's it. No. Next to that is Transvision Vamp, who'd had a pretty yes. decent 1989. Um, mm. The week of this album being released, Wendy James was the cover star on Smash Hits. Ah, oh, yes, yes. Sure. And the Smash Hits loved her and hated her at, yeah. by the same token. But I think everybody <laughs> had that reaction to her. Yeah. There was a lot yeah. of um, that. So I always had a really, really big problem with her because I just couldn't square the clothes falling off element and the... And the great feminist <laughs> statements. Yeah. But this song is not one of their best, is it? No, it's it's not one of the two songs that they're only ever remembered for, <laughs> yeah. shall we say. Yeah. Um, I like her Bob Dylan impression on it. 
Um, yeah. And obviously, it's lifted from Sweet Jane and all. I mean, every song is lifted from whatever they were they wanted to play at it's, the time. It's certainly a a a massive number twenty two hit for them. <laughs> as, but as, well. as you say, she's still got the column inches. Yeah. Well, that, well, that's what was quite interesting mm-hmm. because when I was digging back into the album again, that mm-hmm. to me was what you would have called a dumper track. Okay, you're thinking that mm. was down the dumper. You know, you could see them starting to slide. They didn't yeah. really do much after this, to be honest, if you hear in there. However, cover star. Um, but yeah, it was um, ninth single. This was this was the ninth single, <gasps> which is oh God. And and they went finished, which is killing me. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's you know, I'm 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 just thinking of myself on a quiz show on telly, being told, "Can you name me nine Transvision <laughs> Vamp songs?" And I would just have to say, <laughs> "No, can anybody? Of course not." <laughs> Do you know, there's two Wendy I can think James of. probably can't either. No, exactly. <laughs> He's probably forgotten yeah. them all. I do, I mean, you can't fault a, a sentiment. Cassius Clay to Billy the Kid, Jackie O to JFK, they were born to be sold. Can you? You can't fault that. Oh, except no. you can. Except, it, it, <laughs> Billy except the I Kid can. born to be sold. What? I know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hilarious. Oh, bless them. So yeah. then we go to what is considered a big no misstep. The thing is, there are better ver- there are better remixes of this one. Yeah, I love this song, but um, the Nelly Hooper remix is the one that I always yeah. play. So I was quite surprised to then listen to this, and I've forgotten that it wasn't the Nelly Hooper one that was the single. Um, it doesn't work in the sequencing at all. No, they've really got that in the wrong place. I love Wendy and Lisa. A lot of people <laughs> would agree they're not they're not one of those bands that you go. Oh, I hate Wendy and Lisa. Oh, I hate them. You know they're just so universally loved and they are so universally good. Um, but this, yes, this is just goes clang, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it just sits really uncomfortably. Yeah, and it, and it's a shame because I think the single before this, I think, was Satisfaction. Is that right? Yes. Which yes. was a fantastic yes. record. Um, yeah. And it was looking like it was going to start happening And they did the track Sideshow as well yeah, Lots yeah, of yeah. really That just for whatever reason Just couldn't really crack the charts properly in the UK I think it's because A, the women And it's always harder as a woman to to, to crack these things Unless you're doing your Tina Turner stuff People wanted them to sound like Prince And I know that sounds it's so obvious yeah. But the UK audience and I am one of them we are a pedestrian bunch we need that thread you need something to say this is where we came from these are the roots before you then go and do something and they just sounded too much like Wendy and Lisa I'm like what um they needed to wear more purple and have a stupefying vegan guitar that sort of stuff which they refuse to do they're good on them they refuse to do it they're better artists for it but I think that's why it just didn't springboard also they I don't, I don't remember them really being on UK pop shows and stuff. And you've got to tour it. You've got to really come over here yep. and show that you're you're around rather than just video links and things like that from America. Yeah. Now, next to that is Kate Bush and the Central um, World. What, what a track. I'm just going to yes. say that. What a track. Can I say it too? What a yes. track. What a track. Great track. Just stop and just just praise the great Kate Bush yeah. at this point. But this is the point: is that the sequencing again? We've got we're on side two. I mean, someone's eye is very much off the ball because this is a slam. Why wasn't this the lead track on one of the sides? Yeah, because this is not meant to be in wherever we are in the middle of this side, because well, it just stops you in your tracks. It's one of those tunes that does. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen side two kicking off with Central World yeah. with those 
bells chime in. It's just Absolutely. wonderful. Yes. And it's also, it's a very autumnal record, I feel. And it just mm. kind of reminds me of that kind of Autumn 89 feel. It was the lead single off the new album. I mean, it, mm. it, it everything going for it. Mm. And it just, yeah, the oblique strategies of now. Yes. <laughs> I love that. This idea of almost like somebody switching on a desk fan and blowing all the bits of paper across. <laughs> And then trying yeah. to shuffle them back in order and say, yeah. That- oh, God. Yeah, the boss is coming. What's happened? Yeah. I think that's kind of right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> that's yeah, what yeah. we said. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're here. We're fine. Yeah. And they go, what? Really? Yeah. Yeah. But what got me again, I was digging back into the chart facts. This only got to number 12. Was it 11 records better in the charts that week than obviously there were? Yeah. yeah, it's so, I just want to keep saying it's so wonderful. As if there's some people who haven't heard it on this podcast. Well, oh, I must go and listen to that. I was going <laughs> you to, know, to try and convert people. There will be uh, very, very yeah. few people listening to this going, really? Shannon, you're telling us about Kate Bush being quite good. I know, really? yes. You know, that. if you had the CD copy of this album, there were three bonus tracks. But, oh, okay. Yeah, to I make know. you buy the CD because yeah. the markup's higher. There was three other tracks. So there will be somebody listening just now saying, that's not the next track. Because ah. the next track on the CD was Fine Young Cannibals. Yes. Not the man I'm used to be. Yes. Which is fabulous. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, great tune. And I, it's so... Sometimes you can't envisage the act on top of the pops when you hear a record, but you can envisage the fine young cannibals every time you hear it because you can see that little sideways crab dance. (laughs) This is a group that my dad would have played on his JVC um, stereo. He loved them. I think he was in love with Roland Giff for quite a long time. He would admit it. That's a handsome man, my dad would say. (laughs) And and yeah, Roland cooked global swallowing yeah. up album it was huge yeah. this is actually a song you don't hear as often as you should because i actually quite like it it's, yeah. it's got that lovely funky drummer beat in it and it's, it's just really nice it's great mm. so sugar box by uh then jericho mark shaw was a bit of a smash hits hunk as well wasn't he he was and he was always really good game so yeah. whereas john bon jovi did not understand and got more and more confused as the questions kept coming and the questions get more ridiculous mark shaw really really quite enjoyed that and really relished in, in sort of playing that smash its game and making himself a cartoon character. Um, so he was excellent for it. And obviously all the, I would say that many of the women in the office were first with their hands up to go and interview him because he is not ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they were great. So even with sort of massive non-hits, you know, they, they would be in the magazine just as much as if they had released a banger. It's just That's any a great excuse phrase. to come in, I think, at one point. Massive non-hits. <laughs> That's a compilation you know album I mean. in waiting. Massive <laughs> on-hits of the 80s. <laughs> yeah, because um, yeah, this this was exactly that. Number 22, Pop Pickers, uh, Sugar Box. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. Right, so we're finishing off side two, and mm-hmm. we've got, it's the slow dance section of the album. Ah, <laughs> and we've yeah. Got living, in, living in a Box and Richard Marks, which Because when almost... you buy a compilation album, you really want the slow dance bit, don't you? Oh, always. Yeah, I mean, always. There's got to be a ballad when you're doing the washing up or you're just tidying the living room. Yeah. Slow ballads, please. You, you want that yeah. bit. So we've got Living in a Box first and uh, Room mm-hmm. in Your Heart. I didn't yes. remember this being such a big hit, but it got to number five, which is incredible. I don't remember it being a hit because you. what do we all remember when we hear Living in a Box? Just we Living in a Cardboard in a Box. box. <laughs> That's all we remember. Yeah. And that was about it. Yes, it's it's it's... You know, there was, I think that Johnny Hates Jazz secretly um, released a book template of pop musicians and Living in a Box devoured it from <laughs> cover to cover, as did Cutting Crew and as did all of those people. But that's oh. what we'll do. This is very much the executive decision band, isn't it? Yes. It's a band that an A&R with the suit still on is saying that these lads 
this is coffee table stuff this is all platinum selling you know the most boring people in rock I've got my my only living in a box story was having the um the misfortune or maybe the, to have one of the, one of them try and chat me up once <laughs> I do trot this out sometimes because people find it so hilarious. The drummer, Titch, bless him. Sorry, Titch. I, I let you down. But um, <laughs> in the very few times I've ever been chatted up by a pop star, oh, it was wow. Titch from Living in a Box. So cheers. Brilliant. Now, mm. the only the only bit of tip <laughs> I could find for that one was that it was co-written by Albert Hammond. Oh, right. Which wow. doesn't, I mean, doesn't make it any better, <laughs> I'm afraid. But yeah, yeah, maybe it was a quiet day. Maybe it was. I didn't know that. Wow. Yes, this is one of those tunes that if anyone had told you you'd ever listen to it, you wouldn't believe them. And if you did then go and listen to it, you wouldn't remember it. It is just, I mean, maybe that's a, that, that's a good thing. Maybe they've, it's really good to do that, fill an album of it, have one hit and, yeah. and a sort of, it just acts as a, as a sounding board to whatever you're doing at the time. You just yeah. put onto it like a Rorschach test. You put onto it what you want to, and the song doesn't really exist. We may find out that this song doesn't actually exist. I don't I mean, actually know if it does. No, I don't think it does. To be honest, um, and since 1989, <laughs> it has played very little, little part in my life. Yeah. And I don't foresee it changing, shall we say. Now, next to that is the incredible mullet that is Richard Marks, <laughs> a man Indeed, that embodied no. hair products better than anybody else in 1989. Yes, um, and didn't embody Marxism, which I was... No. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Marxism. Ironic. <laughs> yes, yes, and, and astonishingly, it wasn't number one. Well, there's a reason. It got for to that. number two. What, what was, was what was time. what basically swallowed up the whole charts for most of the oh. autumn was Black Box. Am I being stupid? Of course, I'm being silly. Yeah, and actually, there's a yeah. few bridesmaids across the album that got stuck at number two. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. I think actually, in any other time, Richard Marx would have been number one with this. Yes, of course, of course. Yeah. That makes entire sense, isn't it? But, I mean, you know, the man did not sell zero records. He did quite well out of this. Yeah. I don't yeah. think he's complaining. No. <laughs> I do remember it being on the radio all the time, being in shops. That thing of it's it's when it is part of your air in the wrong way, when you really could do with never listening to it again. But that's the power of song. People spend their lives trying to write these sorts of records. This is a pinnacle, what we think may be the reverse, the Nadir. <laughs> this is the zenith. This is this is what as humans we were put here to do, go to the moon and right, right here waiting. Huge hit and it's the slow dance and I've certainly fast forwarded right past it to get back to Tears for Fears yep. on the other cassette, <laughs> I would imagine. So there yes. we go. Yeah. We move across to record two, side one, Millie Vanilli. Girl, I'm going to yeah. miss you. And the executives are saying they had such a big hit last time, they're going to have another really big hit. Oh, <laughs> and it's called no. Girl. It's got Girl at the start of it. So people think it's that one, then they oh, buy it. It's like, oh. And again, it's it's actually, we've ended side two with a big ballad and actually we've started mm. side three with a big <laughs> ballad. Again, massive hit, stuck behind, I think this one was stuck behind either Black Box or Jive Bunny as well at number two, uh. so... A lot of people yes. bought this. Yeah. There's a real absence of Jive Bunny. Is there a reason for that? They had been on Now 15 with right. the first, the first oh, infliction. Okay. And then I think the second one 
was on the rival album to this, which was called Monster oh. Hits. And actually, Monster Hits really scooped up the number ones because they, they had Black Box on there right on time. They had Lisa Stansfield all around the world. They had Jive Bunny. So actually, they also had Madonna and Prince. They kind of scooped yeah, up a lot of that uh, on there Those are the well. ones I was writing down thinking i've got a list of the ones that aren't on here which you think would be on here and those that's all of them yeah actually if you look at this side three and we just erase millie vanilli from from track (laughs) one what an amazing kickoff to have black box right on time yeah code 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 tell me something you can't play a bass Rebel MC, Double Trouble, Street Tough. Oh, oh yeah. What record? This is fabulous. Love this record. <laughs> it's this great. It's what we used to call Mickey Mouse hip hop. <laughs> we, we meant it with, because it is cartoony. Oh, and yeah. He, yeah, he knew that as well. Yeah, it just fuses all the right elements. One can be very boring and sort of go through all the different things that it's taken from, but that would be boring. It would take all the, the wonder takes, out of it. It takes the fun away, to be honest. It just it? It's a great record. Really, really well. And it, yeah. it's, it's, it's about nothing. It's just... Just fun. It's, it's just about a- him. It, he's here. He is and he's street, street tough. tough. And Another. records that just celebrate the person existing I know. Um, is a genre. And this is one of those. And that's just, uh, you know, you just want to, you almost want to be him. You want to, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be street tough. You yeah. know, the best fact about him, I think I did the first Smash Hits interview because we didn't know this record was going to be so big because I got all the crap. See, <laughs> I got big fun. We've got big fun. Haven't we? I well, got they're coming the- up. Yeah. I got the big funds and the Sonyas because everybody in the office thought it was hilarious to give me the stuff they hated. Anyway, <laughs> but I got him. That's good. And he had four toothbrushes at the time. Took two around with him, but he had four anyway because he was really into dental hygiene. And yeah. no wonder, beautiful, beautiful teeth. He's a lovely man. Also, he's one of those people who's now had a really, really interesting career yeah. in inverted commas. He's been called Congo Natty and all sorts of things. Yeah. And it's quite dread now. And I just think... Yeah, he was always a really interesting, intelligent person. I'm glad he got out of the sort of fire of pop music and didn't get burnt by it, as so many people do. Speaking of getting burnt by the pop world, (laughs) let's move on to Bobby Brown. (laughs) Oh, poor Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack. Yeah. Hey. That's the first thing I've written as well. Um, it It was his biggest hit so far. It's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby it Brian. is just a shame And it's not actually that brilliant a tune I mean, my prerogative, it's not, is it? It certainly is not No, no. He'd made quite a, a small amount go a long way in 1989, Bobby Brown I mean, the... Do you think? I think he was quite good I mean, he was the precursor of all the Robbies and the Harry Styles The bad boy leaves the band Oh, yeah um, So he set quite an interesting... I mean, he got worse and worse. he got badder and badder But they all kind of do And then they have to pull back or, or something horrible happens yeah. Um and in that sense, I think there's enormous bravery, even though it's not a great Bobby Brown song. Yes, it's still one of those things. It's got that thing. It's got the new jackpot thing that yeah. he does so well. And it's something that you would. It's the drunk at a disco. You'd definitely be dancing to this, wishing they'd put, or probably going up and saying, but haven't you got my prerogative? But it's not something that we're not on a par with a then Jericho sugar box, are we? No, no, no. And, mm. uh, I, and I think the problem was by this point, it actually had three or four big pop tracks. You know, there's every yeah. little step and don't be cruel. They're ringing that tea towel, yeah, aren't they? They're absolutely. ringing him dry. Pump up the jam, yeah. Technotronic featuring Felly. Now that, that, there's a story in here, isn't there? 
it was Ya Kid K that was doing the singing on this. Yeah. And it wasn't Failure yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah. First of all, though, what a track. Yes. And why isn't this on the on the start? I mean, this, then Street Tough. I mean, a black box, this, then Street Tough. Now, that would have been good, wouldn't it? That is a kick Um yeah, that that, and then we get into what then comes next. Yes, you do. You do wonder why we used to call it "pump up the gym" in the Smash It's office because she does say "pump up the gym." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> our oh. little world. Um, and that was on all the time, which does make me think that we did play this compilation quite a lot. It was, I think, it was on the radio all the time as well. So you couldn't move for this song. But we're saying so. We've got a thread here. We've got Black Box, Millie Vanilli, and Technotronic using quote unquote models. Yeah. To sing the songs that are actually sung by backing singers, which would never happen now. No. You, it just wouldn't happen. It's because it's so it's so wrong on every single level. And yet it shouldn't have been such a storm. But it's interesting that that still happens. There is a Jimmy Nail song, She's Lying. And the video has Jimmy Nail and this fantastic, fantabulous, mega, mega hit. And it has the black backing singer. And you think, but that all looks fine. At top of the pot, it's got a white woman on. Yeah. What? It's still part of this, which is, again, it's very BBC executive or someone executive deciding who we think is attractive and who should front pop music and what pop stars should be. They should be good. We don't like good looking pop stars in this country. No. Neil Tennant, you know, you know, you can't you can be too beautiful. You have to be a bit odd and, and lumpy. Yeah, I do find it peculiar that this was still deemed acceptable in 89 that's what yeah, we do because it's not really that long ago when you think about it but it was that mm. that, that needs and i think the next single they had reinstated yeah kid k and it actually looked better it was yeah. it was a better move it looked more genuine which was better next to that on the cd only edition is french kiss by lil louis but mm-hmm. we're not going to skip over this because i think we need to talk about french kiss this again was everywhere yeah Again, this I, I don't remember it ever being off the radio. Unless they got a bit prissy on Radio 1. I was wondering about that, but my memory's not good enough to think. I think they allowed it in, didn't they? I think or maybe they edited it. Oh yeah. So there was yeah, there was definitely an edited version of this on, on <laughs> which actually probably sounded very clunky as well, because the whole mm. point of the track was it slowed down to this. Mm performance piece in the middle <laughs> you want to call it um, <laughs> yeah and and then speed it back up again so actually by taking that out you you took out the whole narrative of the track but I mean I think- this is very much club culture is dictating what is in the charts this is you know this doesn't come out of executives I keep saying exactly I'm obsessed with executives but you know people going to chart return shops and putting the records in and you know this this does not come from that this does not come from top of the pops or the radio one roadshow this comes from the clubs yeah and it then crossing over and I, I like it for that because this is where you see the underground yeah. infiltrating pop music as it should do and it's um, the polar opposite as we're saying of sort of the auto rock of Belinda Carlisle and even the Deborah Harry stuff is it's yeah. just it's the, those things are about the opposite philosophy. Exactly. It's, Which and it's actually, so interesting to have it on there. At the very beginning of their careers, Belinda Carlyle in the Go-Go's mm, and yeah. Blondie Ware, you know, so it's yeah, that it perpetual motion of pop, really, yes, to be yes. honest. <laughs> Next up, we've got a diva, and I thank mm. you. Um, she, she did some big hits. Respect was huge mm, mm. Um, and warning. Uh, and then this one, again, you know, we talk about Sydney Youngblood, an amazing voice and image. Absolutely amazing, but it's one of those people not having listened to her for decades. I didn't remember her. I remember no. respect, and then I thought, but I didn't remember this. I felt quite bad. I thought oh, I haven't done my job properly. I don't remember this one. One of those people that comes and goes, and probably quite good because she doesn't get burnt again, yes. <laughs> burnt by rock. 
um, and is probably living a lovely, healthy life somewhere. Yeah, I felt bad for forgetting her. But then that's that's the problem with some of the club stuff that comes along at this time and why smash hits would feature people like that, but they just really, as we know, wouldn't know what to do with them. They wouldn't want to be pop stars and they wouldn't want to do the cartoon stuff and they wouldn't want to put a baguette on their head and all the things that we might suggest. <laughs> Always. Um, so one of the, you know, they're terribly serious and they do what they do and they're really brilliant at doing it, but yeah. that's it. So some who are quite hard to turn into yeah. super duper pop star. Um, and, you know, she's probably in the back of a car with Sydney Youngblood heading off into <laughs> into the world of non-popdom. Um, yes, but they're as- working on new material. Adiva, I believe, is working on new material <laughs> as we speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, next this, D-Mob introducing Kathy Dennis, mm. not featuring. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Kathy Dennis's career is stellar, obviously, since then. Yes. But here she is kicking off as a pop star. This also is the beginning of that featuring culture mm. that, that we see in dance music into 1990. We also get, this is the time, 88 and 89 is where we get the rap in the middle eight. Yeah, and it becomes almost <laughs> to get in the top forty. Unless you're balladeering and you're Richard Karl Marx, as I yes. call him, <laughs> that you've got to have a rap in the middle, and that's where you feature them, and that's where you put them in there. And and sh- who's the man from D Mob again? Well, I want to call him Dancing Danny D, but he's probably got a name. Uh, it's Danny D, isn't it? I think it I'm is. Not very good at this. Probably doesn't say that on his passport. <laughs> <laughs> Dancing Danny D. I like this, and I looked at the top of the pops performance. And she's this is like your grand speaking, but she's is so young and yeah. so enthusiastic. And there's such a real gunning thing of you don't know it yet, but you're gonna write some of the best pop tunes of the next yeah. couple of decades. You don't know this yet, and you and that's quite exciting to see. She's yeah. a good egg, I think, Kathy Dennis. Think yeah, really she always right. always I, yeah, comes across really well. Really. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even gonna to begin to rhyme off some of Kathy Dennis's <laughs> credits because it would fill the rest of the podcast, to be yeah, honest. But it's another podcast, as we say. It's another podcast series, Kathy whole Dennis. Oh, another podcast. Yay. So then we've got Della Soul, I Know. Yeah. Now, I was a huge fan of Della Soul. It's, it was really lovely, happy Sesame Street hip-hop, but with yeah. a message and everything, and really just fantastic. They crossed over to the indie lot. <laughs> which I was standing in that particular field at the time. And it was just an album that was on repeat all the time. I played it all the time. Yeah. What an amazing album. So imagine my delight when, you know, I've been at Smash It's a couple... No, I've been at Smash It's two days, I think. I think they were my first interview, if not they were my second. And someone says in the office, do you want to interview Della Soul on the phone? They're in New York. And then they're there. What? What? Are you going to ring my mum and ring my sister? Really, really excited. And I realised I'd been chosen to do the fact file or personal file, whatever it was. With, I think it was Posta News. Uh, obviously, you're dripping with excitement. I was just so happy. He didn't say the one oh, word no. answers because he's so cool. Oh. And so amazing. And that's why I have been given the job, I realised afterwards, because <laughs> they're bloody difficult to interview because they couldn't give a toss. It doesn't matter to them. They don't need to be in Smash It's to sell records. Um, so that's my Della Soul story. It was such I still an love them. Though. It was. I know. It was such a moment. It, one of those really... And I think without that, you wouldn't have... You know, the Happy Mondays would have listened to that. Everybody listened to that album. And it spurred people on to then move things in a different direction. And music became very eclectic and everyone got quite magpie. We've had sampling, but this is sort of something else. I think it really did springboard. Yeah, I think as well, when you look at, you know, those kind of end of year charts, this is an album that didn't divide. Everybody recognised the brilliance of it. It was yeah. it was in it was in the Q list. It was in the NME list. It mm. was in smash hits. Everybody saw it for what it was. And 
as an album, it sounded like nothing I'd ever heard before. <laughs> Just yeah. that whole cut and paste of things, but working But also that you they were part of a gang. So like any good band, you then go and discover the bands that are guesting on their records and their scene. And the whole world opens up and Britain in 89 is not like New York in 89. So you kind of just start time traveling. You just want to go there. It just, it gave something else, like being on holiday, listening to all that stuff. It was so exciting. And finish off side three with Inner City, been a big year for Inner City Mm. and a cover of the 1979 single by Stephanie Mills, Watcher gonna do with your loving grammatically all over the place but there we go <laughs> um yeah number 12 um slight yeah. diminishing returns by this mm. point they're not replicating the early stuff yeah it's, it does feel a bit lackluster yeah, doesn't it from bit, but them. still paris gray yeah there we go leave yeah. it at that <laughs> tell me a big fun story then oh God, they were the first band I did a feature on. Because, again, who wants to go with big fun to Belgium? No one puts their hands up. <laughs> okay, Sean can do it. Oh, my God. And there's me. And, you know, I'm sitting there. I've got four AD records at home and I've got creation records. I've got this. I think I'm this. I have to go to Belgium with big fun and Sonia's there as well. Oh. I think that was the living in the box moment. Um, <laughs> it all compounded. <laughs> Uh, but they were nice people and they did dancing. They're, again, I I think it's quite clever because it's the Pete Waterman thing of taking things out of the gay clubs yep. and putting it and that, knowing that he's got an audience and knowing that people will buy it because they've heard it in G.A.Y. and they've heard it in heaven. And he's very clever. It's also he's good at choosing acts that aren't that snobby London people like we yeah. You know, even urban people will like, you know, the Hitman and Her was a good idea because it was regional. He knows what what plays in regional clubs. He is really clever like that. And there's no snobbery about him. Obviously, it's not their biggest hit, um, but this is still in the vein of that. And he knew what he was doing and they didn't get burnt by rock and roll either. I think they have quite normal, friendly, nice jobs now. So... You can't be mean about big fun. Looking back now, and actually, again, a lot of love for Pete Waterman in this podcast because he does exactly what he does, yeah. and he's he's had a much wider influence than you know he's often given credit for. It probably yeah. wasn't a Stock Egan Waterman high point, shall we say? But for Mark and Phil and Jason, I've done my research. Um, <laughs> they obviously had the moment in the sun. Which I was- hope they made some money though. I was worried that you know, without writing any of the songs and. You'd hope they're all right. They got something out of it. They got a car or something. You'd worry though. I mean, yeah. this is famously. I had to look at Smash Hits and their sort of review of the year. The Reynolds girls split up this yeah. year, and you think the Reynolds girls probably got a meal out of it. They've all got no. some chips or something. You know, it's not. It's not going to be your haircut, maybe. I mean, keep the clothes. Probably, well, I was just about to say they probably had to give the clothes back. <laughs> the Reynolds girls. Sonia, I bet, got a few tops. Reynolds girls, no, no, we no, need it back so for another. We're having them yeah. back. <laughs> But interestingly, Smash Hits voted the most promising, well, Smash Hits readers, most promising new act of 1989. But did they? Can I tell you a secret? Oh, go on. You know the poll winners party results? At least one of them was fake. (gasps) Saying who? Best new band of one year in the 80s. They changed it. I can't remember who they changed it from, but they were having none of it. I know that's awful, but it doesn't exist anymore, Smash Hits, so I can say that. Oh, my goodness. Rather be on one. Yeah. Am I surprised? Probably not. There we are. I'll be honest. It wasn't full scale corruption. It's the only one I've heard of. I don't think I ever filled out my uh, my page <gasps> form and sent it in. To be honest, if I had, I would have corrupted have it anyway. It probably would have been counted <laughs> as a wasted vote. I'm afraid. So, there we go. 
Um, yeah. So we've got another sock Aiken Waterman yes. next to that. Again, being clever. It's it's a nice double pairing there. So we've got Cliff on his 101st single. Mm-hmm. Uh, 101. Just, yeah, 101. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I just don't have the heart. Yeah, and it does what it says on the tin, yep. doesn't it? It just, he's clever because he picks Stock Aiken and Waterman who are on a high. They're clever because they pick, and it's so mutually, so he is the, you know, the parasite on the back of the rhino. Is they're both getting something out of this. It's all fine. No one's been harmed in the making of this record. I don't exactly. Think. For a mm. year that was totally dominated by Stockhagen and Waterman, there are the two shining beacons, Big Fun and Cliff. Mm. <laughs> oh no Kylie, no Jason. No. <laughs> Just Big Fun and Cliff. There yeah. we are. Uh, next up, we have Come On To Dear Adieu. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Somerville's first solo hit, actually. Featuring, not introducing, but featuring <laughs> June yeah. Miles Kingston. And this again does what it says on the tin, doesn't it? Yeah. It's just yeah. so Jimmy Somerville. It's it's it reeks of the Somerville. It's a bit arty. It's a bit poppy. It's a bit yeah. clubby. A very what... nice man as well, can we say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Quite a good person. Yes, yeah. no problems and, uh, with it. But I had actually forgotten he released it. It just kind things. of kickstarts the career, I suppose, and gets him moving yeah. off onto onto his own. And in the smash hits of the week, this album, No Sixteen, was released. A certain young Sean Pattenden <laughs> reviewed the Read My Lips album for Jimmy Somerville as well. Oh, what did I say? There's a lot of inverted commas. Oh, God, shut up, please. Oh, don't, just, let, let's move on. We'll just move on. We'll just move on. He did give it seven they may have ten, been... though. Did I? Okay. Yeah, so obviously it was, was quite good. Uh, track four. Oh, hang on. We've got CD-only track. Again, third CD-only yes. track, which is Brother Beyond mm. and the mega number 39 hit, yeah. Drive On. It's... Yeah, pure, poor the Yond. I mentioned them earlier. They didn't know how to be pop stars. Yeah, I think they found it really confusing. Some of them yeah. just don't. They just it just doesn't fit, and they don't want to be pinups, and they weren't there for that. And then they get thrown into that, and I know. But the the doors to the dumper were very firmly open at this mm. point for the yawns, mm. and it was they were they were kind of getting ready for it. And uh, no, the phrase um, in reception that yes, they were yes. they were in reception there, in, which was our joke about. Anybody yes. who came yeah. up, they would be sitting in reception ready to make your tea, go and get your sandwich. They're so yeah. desperate. Now, next to that is a bona fide mm. bit of pop fabulousness in yes. Shakespeare's sister, Your History. I had thought, looking back at it again, they should have taken the E off the Your, because they took the E off the Shakespeare's oh, yeah. Your History. It would have been branding. Nowadays, branding, marketing department, be right on that. Um, Yeah, and I'm surprised it only got to number seven. Yeah, I mean, what a song. Interestingly, looking at the video, there's a really big close-up of Siobhan Fahey. I mean, it is uncomfortably close. The year later, that same technique is in the Sinead O'Connor Nothing Compares to You video. I mean, very different songs and a very different feel. But I thought, where have I seen that? That's Sinead O'Connor. The, it's the same thing, but this, this precedes it by a year. Yeah, amazing song. And actually, I think they stand up so well um, decades yeah. later, Shakespeare's sister. I kind of love them more. When I was going back to listen to that, I kind of dug into other tra- And actually, they've got some great tracks. Um, mm. And I just interesting. And... Yeah. yeah. Conceptual just, yeah. and interesting. And they did what they wanted to do. Good thing is they have access to fabulous, got enough money to go to fabulous studios. There are enough people to produce them properly and to work on everything together. And they use that. But it's really no one's guiding it but but them, Siobhan yeah. first and then Marcella. But they like Kate Bush songs and like Tori Amos songs. Certain songwriters, maybe they are quite female, don't write in the way that you expect you suddenly get a wrong turn you suddenly get a different way and chord sequences are different and they're very much like that i thought yeah 
we've got the last four. Should we? Yeah. It's the last four. On Let's take album. the last four songs yeah, in a run. Yeah, as a thing, because I think they are a thing. It's we? an interesting thing. I think this is the bit where those pieces of paper actually got lost and they got four extra tracks in that they hadn't, <laughs> um, hadn't thought about. Because this is, you know, when we're talking about Street Tough, where all the elements actually do work together. Mm. When dance music does, it magpies a little to get into the mainstream. These are the four tracks to me... I mean, although I like, we're talking also about Do the Right Thing, Redhead Kingpin, which is great, but in amongst this, it feels like the, the tracks that jar. They're taking from dance culture and, and subcultures, and it's, but it's sounding slightly wrong to me. Yeah. And I don't think it helps they all get lumped in together because Kisses on the Wind isn't an awful song, but it's certainly not served well by this sequencing. No, and actually, if you'd lifted kisses on the wind out of mm. that sequence and rescued it slightly and moved it maybe onto side three and yeah. might have done a bit more credit because again yeah. raw like sushi had been an amazingly yes, big yeah. album and she was still really big here and it's kind of slightly undersold here in this context um yeah so but yeah and then you've got this wishing on a star cover at the end um yes. Ooh, and, and i have to say um I could find very, very little <laughs> about Fresh Four featuring Lizzie. Mm. I suppose what it does do is it kind of indicates, again, the beginning of this kind of theme into 1990 of taking R&B tracks and putting yeah. them over a funky drummer beat, basically, which, which you know, that was yeah. that kind of 1990 thing, you know. But yes. pretty forgetful. Absolutely. And there's not a lot of tuning on it. I did notice there's a little no. bit of... But bless, I mean, you do hit, go back. I mean, this is another thing, but you do go back and hear records and before auto-tune, you do think they wouldn't have done that now. Not necessarily that people are auto-tuned. They would just re-sing it because we, our ears are so aligned now to everything yeah. being on time and in tune. It, it's jarring to hear old stuff when it's not and bass yeah. is out of tune and things like that. Yeah, it's very much of the time there, 89, that... Fresh Force song. Yeah. Now seems to sometimes run out of steam <laughs> by the end of side four. Completely. I mean, it's a, this is, they really, it, you, they've gone to have lunch while yeah. someone else is sort of trying to fill in and just ringing up for copyright and licensing yeah. issues. And they, they've, yeah, just, yeah, just choose four tracks. Doesn't matter. And they'll all be listening to it at that point. It really is. They've just sort of served the them in the back. Yeah. Which is, an, especially when there are some real big stellar moments across the rest of the album that are yeah. indicating yeah. where things are going next. And you want, we want it to end with a bang. Yeah. You want it to end with the sound of what 1990 is going to be. Yeah. You know, go out on a limb or do something, you know, put a Roses or a Monday's track or do something. And it just doesn't do that. But actually, I think, as we said at the beginning, this this stands as a really decent time capsule of what Autumn 89 was. Yeah, absolutely. And some of it is just banger after banger. I mean, it does peter out, but um, it's not unpleasurable listening to this stuff when you think oh it might be quite hard or they might sound really there was a couple of you know sometimes you hear a lindrum you think wow i haven't heard that for a while but a lot of this stuff really stands out and let's say if you a couple of things if you release that 2021 you might get away with it um i am still surprised how amazing sowing the seeds of love sounds as an opener and for quite a complicated tune it is just so powerful and you can't help but sing along to that. It would, be, it would be a very, very evil, bitter person who could not sing along to that tune. Considering this is a new album with no number ones on it, there yes. are still some <laughs> real, you know, and that was the whole, you know, reason of these albums was to basically mm. sell, you know, the biggest hits of the day. But in hindsight, actually, tracks like Pump Up The Jam, 
and mm. sowing the seeds of love and mm. street tough they actually tell a better story of what 1989 was well, what i quite like about them also is it's like a support act on a big tour is you're mm. going to get to hear records so it's, it's interesting as someone who wants to hear new music you might buy it for the tracks that you know but you're interested in the stuff that you may have missed and it leads you down there so you know for little kids and putting della soul on yeah. you haven't heard that before then you can then go and discover so as, as much as we've been laughing about meetings around tables or wherever the meetings were around there's still some goodness there and there's still some sincerity if we want to we can actually show things that aren't just in the top three we can give you some stuff that might be interesting and you want to listen to and further explore i quite like that idea of it Shan, thank you so much for joining me here on the back to now podcast and revisiting now 16 and autumn of 89 Thank you. It's been wonderful. I really enjoyed it going back. I don't usually like going back, but this time it's been all right. It's good to take that moment in time and actually recognise not just what was on the album, but what it kind of signified. And I think we've we've said that it really signified the kind of kickstart of what the next decade was going to be, the positivity of what was there. Absolutely. <laughs> Some of the ballads. And 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 Richard yeah. Marks. <laughs> I'm living in a box. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It's been lovely. 